Oh, well, I, that could be taken one of two ways, and uh, I'm going to trust that that's a, it, boy, it's been good. <laughs> Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, 
If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and power that are in your word. I thank you for the renewal and the restoration that is in your word. I pray that you would shine your light upon us today, your light of truth, and that we would receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've heard that, uh, I've heard Peter and these guys criticized for going fishing. And uh, all I can say to that is stuff and nonsense. That's ridiculous. I mean, they were just getting on with their lives. It had been, it had been several weeks. Now, let's see, it had been uh, probably about five weeks since Jesus had, had risen from the dead, and he had not really given them any instructions at this point. So they were fishermen. Let's go fish. Um, I know that Jesus did say over in Acts 1-8 to tarry in Jerusalem, but that wasn't until they saw him ascend into heaven. So that was, that was after this. Uh, some would stay where Jesus last appeared to them and just remain there because this is where Jesus showed up. Uh, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come in the same way at the same place. In fact, he rarely does. But we, we do have that tendency to want to to camp here. Uh, Peter was one of the ones who was taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And glory came down. I mean, Jesus was transformed. His garments were, were made like lightning. And Moses and, and Elijah showed up. And, and Peter was the one who said, Lord, let's just build, let's build three tents here. We'll build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we'll just stay here. Wrong. That wasn't what they were supposed to do. And so maybe Peter had actually learned something. Peter, it, it, took, it took Peter a while for things to sink in, but maybe, maybe he, would, he had actually learned something, but it's not something we often learn. We often try to do that again. And so we have a great service. And re, let's do that song that we did at that service when the Holy Spirit came the last time. You know, or, or, or a great sermon. Boy, let, uh, pr- why don't you preach that, that again? Nobody ever asked me that. I don't know why that is. You know, uh, mm, they may say that to Barbie. I don't know. They just don't say that to me. But uh, that great song or that, or that, or that great sermon or, or remember that sweater I wore when, when, uh, when we had that great service, you know. So we, we try and do it again so that the same thing will happen again not realizing that it wasn't the song, it wasn't the sermon, it sure wasn't the sweater. It was because God was orchestrating everything that was going on on that occasion. And when we try to duplicate it, guess who's orchestrating it now? It's not him. It's us. 
And so we, we have, I, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal tradition, and we'd have these, we'd have revivals. You know, and sometimes, man, they'd, boy, kick off with a bang. I mean, first service was a 10, and the second service was a nine and a half, and the third service was a, an eight, and then it would kind of slip down to a six, but we were still pretending like it was a 10, because that's what we did on the night that it, the 10 happened. So we have, a, we have this tendency to, to try and, and get a hold of the, we have a tendency to try and go home again, which that's, we're not called back there. We're called up there. We're, we're called forward. We're, we're called to the next, the next step. So Jesus shows up. They're out there fishing. Jesus shows up. And he showed again that God tends to show up in the, in the regular course of life. That's where he tends to show up. Sometimes he actually shows up at church. And that's usually the only place we look for him. Is that church? Preach it again, brother. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's, that tends to be the only place that we look for him. Uh, and, and occasionally he does. I mean, Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple high and lifted up, and the, the train of his robe filled the temple. But Moses was working. Moses was tending uh, his flocks when, when he saw the bush on fire that wasn't consumed and went and found out, hey, this is holy ground. Gideon was working. He was threshing wheat. He was down on a wine press, of all things, threshing wheat. And the Lord appeared to him and said, God is with you, mighty, mighty man of God, mighty man of valor. Uh, David was working. He was out tending his sheep. And, he gets a, and somebody says, hey, uh, <clears throat> they want you over here. We're going to anoint you king of Israel. Elisha was working. He was plowing the fields when Elijah came along to him, threw his cloak over him, and, and called him into a, a, a different path of life that was going to lead him to a double portion of what the great prophet Elijah had. All of the disciples were working. When, when Jesus called them, they, they dropped their nets, they left, they went with him. Matthew was collecting taxes. He had a, he had a desk job. He had a government job. God came showed up, called him there. You know, I, I, don't know, I don't know where you work, but let me just tell you, there's a real possibility that where you work can turn into holy ground just like that. Amen. Just like that. Because he, he tends to show up in those places. And, that, and that's, that's where we need to look for him. These guys, they're out working, they're out fishing, that's what they do. They're not being very successful at it, but they're, but they're out and they're fishing and, and they're actually to the point where they're wondering where they're going to go for breakfast. When Jesus shows up and says, hey, I got breakfast here. Let's, let, let's eat. So they do. And Jesus, uh, you know, so there's, there's a bunch of different points to make in this thing. So uh, just stay with me. Jesus helped them out with their work. Now, uh, <laughs> uh, there are a couple of places in this, uh, in this passage that really make me smile. One of them, because I forget about it if I don't say it right now is over toward the end where Jesus says if I want him to remain alive uh, until I return what is that to you and then it fires out through the church John's never going to die before Jesus comes and that's just so us and that is kind of uh, God why didn't you make us smarter uh, but um, 
But I love the part where they're out fishing all night. <laughs> now, I, I never, I, I was never a, a lot of a fisherman. My dad loved to fish. And when I was, when I was a kid, I'd go fishing with him. Uh, it just never really was my thing. I mean, you know, putting worms on hooks and things like that. And then you get to fish and you got to cut them open. And then they got these bones and stuff in them. I mean, you, you know, but I mean, I guess people do that. And some, some people actually like that. My dad for sure did. Uh, but I, I, so I know a little bit about fishermen. And one of the things that I know about fishermen is, A, they don't like to be ask if they've caught anything when they haven't and b they don't like to be told how to do it and jesus doesn't just say have you caught anything he says you don't have anything do you <laughs> friends <laughs> you know so they're saying no and, and there's a bunch of different ways that could be said but they're saying no and then jesus tells them how to do it he says, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll get some. Duh. And they, uh, and they do. And the worst thing that could happen happens is they catch a bunch of fish when this guy who's not even a fisherman tells them how to do it. Here's the point, though. God knows how to do your job. And he, and he, would, like to, he would like to tell you. He'd like to give you some instruction. He, he'd like to help you out. He told Noah how to build a boat. He, he told Moses how to build a tabernacle, gave, gave him the instructions for it. He told Joseph how to prepare for a famine and, and rule a country. He, he told Joshua and David and Gideon how to, how to, how to prepare for battle and how to, how to go into battle and how, how to win battle. He told the disciples how to fish. He told the tax collectors how to collect taxes. He did? Yes, he did. He said, don't, don't take anything that... You're not supposed to take. Be fair with people and take only what you're supposed to take. And you're, that's how you do your job. And I don't know when the last time was that we did this, but we used to have a, a reading that we would do occasionally before, um, before offerings. So we are believing God for jobs and, and better jobs. And, and, and one of the lines, one of the things that we would say we were believing God for is clever inventions and productive ideas. There isn't anybody cleverer than God is. He's got all the productive ideas. And he'd like to tell you how to do your job. And if you'll just listen. I mean, you know, when you're there, don't just look for him to show up. Listen for what he's saying about. He might, he might, have, he might have some instruction for you. And then you'll do so much better and tithes and offerings will increase. And, uh, but you'll be blessed. Yeah. Actually, I say tithes and offerings will increase. People don't tithe when they get a lot of money unless they tithe when they don't have much money. So I just, just, just saying that, just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, John was the first one to recognize Jesus. Um, it isn't always the outgoing and the demonstrative who always notice his presence first. They just make the most noise about it when they, when they finally see him and... and uh, and then leave others to do the work bringing the fish in. But uh, I've always wanted this to be the kind of worship environment where, I mean, we're, we're, we're basically we're pretty demonstrative as a, as a church in our worship. But I've always wanted this to be the kind of worship environment where 
however you encounter God. You know, if you, if you want to, if you fall on your face, fall on your face. You know, if, you, if, if, if dancing does it for you, I mean, it, it kind of does for me. The older I get, the less it does it for me. But, but if dancing does, absolutely. It's, you know, this, if you, if you can't stand, if you, if you can just sit, that's fine. That's fine. He, he will meet you. And that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of place that I, that I want this to be. To have Jesus appear is one thing. To know that he's there is something else. But you know what? Jesus doesn't mind going incognito at times. He doesn't rebuke them because they didn't know it was him. He, he, even after they start eating, they don't all know that it's, that it's him. Uh, sometimes you want to take a candid shot. You know, sometimes you want to hear what you sometimes you want to hear what's going on with your kids when they don't know that you're hearing what's going on with your kids. And by the way, uh, I, I know that most of the teenagers have fallen asleep because of being on the retreat this last weekend. But uh, by the way, they always hear what you're saying. They always know what you're saying. I mean, you, you uh, we think we always think that you know. Well, my mom and dad don't know about me. Oh, yes, they do. You know, they, they know what's going on. And, and you know what? Even if Jesus isn't, if we don't feel him or we don't see him, he's there. That's the key. He always knows what's going on. He, he's, he's got his finger on the pulse. He's there. So, Jesus reinstates Peter at a picnic. Peter had denied Jesus. Of all of the, the, the 12, the only one to fall further was Judas on that night. But even worse than Judas, Peter had been a part of the inner circle. Peter, Peter had been one of the, one of the three. He was, the, he was one of the ones who got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was one of the ones that, that Jesus took with him in to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. He was one of the ones that Jesus took deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane and said, you know, pray with me. And even worse than Judas, Peter had boasted that he would never desert Jesus. That he would never deny Jesus. Um, you know, Judas didn't stand up and say, I'll never, I'll never uh, betray you, Lord. You know, he didn't say anything. Peter's the one who made the declaration about what he would and would not do. And even worse than Judas, Peter was the one who had been singled out by Jesus when he made his great confession. He says, you are Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And gave him the keys to the kingdom and all that. I mean, Peter, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so now Peter needs reinstating. He needs restoration. Um, forgiveness had already happened. That's, that's a separate issue. We'll talk about that here in a second. But he needed, he needed to be restored. And the restoration came about in a most unexpected fashion. It, it's rarely like you see on TV. Do you know that I'm pretty, I feel like I'm safe in saying, I know that the scripture clearly never says, I feel like I'm safe in saying Jesus never had a prayer line. Not saying you shouldn't have one. I'm just saying 
That's God moves in. The, the, the cameras aren't always rolling and the, and the lights on to show us how God works around things. And these guys are just sitting around and, doubt, and doubtless they're, they're just talking guy talk. You know, I mean, if it was football season, well, it wasn't because it was a spring. But had it been football season, you know, they'd have been talking about football if they knew anything about football. But as it was, they were probably talking about, hey, man, you see my new nets here. I got, I got the latest nets. We're fishing with them and stuff, you know. And, and they were probably talking about, I don't know, um, what first century guys talked about. Uh, hey, man, did you see the moon last night? It was just so cool. And, you know, they're just doing, they're just doing this guy talk, and this suddenly out of, out of nowhere, seemingly, we hear Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? And I suspect there was a bit of a pause Peter goes, well, yes, yes, I love you, Lord. And, and the way we read it in the scripture, we tend to think that it's kind of like bam, bam, bam. You know, I don't, I don't think it was. I think, you know, Peter said, yes, I love you, Lord. And then I think they probably went back to talking about, well, you know, I mean, this was Chick-fil-A week this week. We'll go to Panera next week is what, what we'll do uh, for breakfast. Yeah. And, they, and, and it goes kind of drifts back in. And then suddenly, once again, Peter, do you love me? Um, well, yeah, yes, Lord, I, I love you. You, you yeah, I, I, you know I do. Okay, they go back into to, to talking once again, and then and then the third time, Jesus says, "Peter, do you love me?" And I think by then everybody realized something's going on here. Some, something is happening. It doesn't didn't feel like church. It didn't feel like a, necessarily a spiritual. It felt like breakfast. But let's see. Okay, yeah, three denials, three opportunities to confess here. And, and, and Peter, by the third one, acknowledges, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And it was, it was important. I think, I think it was almost as important as I love you for Peter to say, Lord, you know all things, because Peter didn't always have that attitude. Jesus had said, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be, and I'm going to be crucified, and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, going to, I'm going to die. And Peter went, no, you're not, Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. That's wrong. Earlier, Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter went, no, I'm not. You, 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 you just think I am. But I know me. I'm not going to do that. And Peter seems to finally understand Jesus does know. He actually does know what he's talking about. He actually does know what he's saying. And Peter realizes... Lord, you, you know my heart. You know if I do or if I don't. I, I want to. I think I do. I, I, you know all things. And Jesus says, uh, feed my sheep. I used to look for uh, some meaning in the, in the progression. Um, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And there, 
There may very well be something there. It's just beyond me. I, I don't quite know what it is. But I know this, that in every instance what Jesus is saying is that the way that Peter and all of us, for that matter, express true love for Jesus is demonstrated in the way we treat others. Absolutely, positively demonstrated in the way we treat others. And, you know, some may get tired of hearing me preach love, 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 love. But the older I get, the more I feel the need to say it. I don't know how many more times I'll get to say it. And it's the most important thing that I can say to those who already know Christ. It's the most important thing I can say. Concerning the apostle John, the, the legend is that he was the last of the apostles to die and that he lived to be a very old man and, and that in his, in his eldership, I ate, uh, what, what, what is the right, when he got old, uh, when, when he'd get up to preach when he got old, that he, would, that he would stand in the pulpit and he would just say, little children, love each other, love each other. And that, that, was his, that, that that was his message. There is a time for rebuke. And, and, but it needs to be in love because if it's not in love, it just destroys. It doesn't heal. It doesn't make whole. There, there is a, I mean, love should always be tough as well as gentle. In the, in the 26 years that I've been here, The, the most difficult things that I've had to do, and I'm thinking in particular of, of two instances right now, the most difficult things that I've had to do involved hurting people that I loved very much, very deeply. It says Peter was hurt. Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Sometimes restoration requires us getting there. Sometimes restoration involves a little pain. But I see so much judgment and condemnation and, and flat-out arrogance in the American church that I just feel like somebody needs to stand up and say, look, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's divine. I believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I believe that he died on the cross for our sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he is coming again. I believe that he is the, the only way to the Father. I believe that there's no other name given under heaven whereby men or women, for that matter, or children must be saved. So I, I'm not, you know, one of these far out uh, liberal people and I believe that we're supposed to show love more importantly than pointing out why, why folks are wrong and where they're wrong or where they've messed up they know they've messed up what they don't know is that God really loves them and the reason they don't know God really loves them is because we don't really love them And they can hear all the words. But until they, can I just say, feel the love, they're not going to respond. 
And so they are looking for love in all the wrong places because there's really only one place to find it. But we're, 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 we are disguising it. We're covering it up, and they can't see it's there in him. Aren't you glad we're getting out of John? <laughs> love is the way back to restoration. Now, let me just say this, because I, and I, I don't know. You know, I've said in enough serm, I've said in enough services and under enough sermons myself with with things on my heart that I've, uh, you know, I understand the tendency to think somebody told him and he's preaching about me. That's not nice. <laughs> but there, I know, are people here today who have callings, who have anointings on their life. And they've been lost. Those callings have been lost. They've fallen by the wayside. And the reason why God has you here today is because he wants to restore you. Now, it's a process, and I'll get to that in just a second. So it, it may not happen, bam, right now, but it can start, bam, right now. You know, the, the, that process. And when it does, if it does, you need to understand that as a, as a leader especially as a, as a leader in the church, you need to understand something that, that people tend to not understand when, they, when they're looking for leadership. And it's this, uh, leaders have fewer rights than followers. Peter could deny, Judas could betray, uh, all the disciples could flee. Jesus didn't have that choice. He had to stay there. When, uh, when we first moved to Millersville in 1953, and my dad uh, was pastor in the church there. I think the first probably four or five years, we went in this little bitty building that had a, uh, a pot-bellied stove was, was the heat. And so on a morning like this, or on, uh, you know, throughout the winter, uh, somebody had to get up and go to the church early enough to start a fire in that stove and put the coal in it and get the, get the heat going so that the, the, the temperature was was knocked down a little bit or actually raised up a little bit in the, in, in, the, in the church. And guess who got to do that? My dad. Because that was, he was the leader. He's the one who had to be there and do that. And guess who turned out all the lights and locked the doors when it was over? My dad, until I got old enough for him to pick on me. <laughs> oh, I remember, well, we, we had a, uh, I mean, just, well, uh, uh, the church that they, that they built and that they moved to was kind of long and narrow. And um, the front door was the one that needed locking. And the back door, I mean, and the back door was where the, the lights were. And I remember my dad saying, Ronnie Allen, go turn the lights off. You know what I'm going? <laughs> Me? And I remember turning those lights off. And boy, you talk about running in church. Yeah, I'd do that thing. You get, get there to the front. Don't close it until I get there. Uh, get, to the, get to the front door. Uh, we, uh, we actually, we had somebody on staff here once. And since we've had quite a few people on staff, you don't know who it is. But we had a person on staff here once that was asked, and they were on full-time staff. They were asked to lock up 
when, and they didn't want to do it. And I went, oh, you're not supposed to be here, are you? Because if you're in a position of a pastor, you're a servant. And you will do that. Yeah. That, that will be part of what's done. So leaders have fewer rights than followers. But if you're a disciple of Christ, leader or follower or whatever, you have no rights. Because Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. No wonder it's so hard to make disciples in our culture. He says that they have to deny themselves. He said to Peter, let me tell you what, let me tell you what restoration is going to involve. Since, since you do love me and I know that you do, here's what's going to happen. When you were young, you dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go, you made your own decisions. When you get older, you're going to stretch out your hands, someone else is going to dress you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. You in or out. <laughs> and then he turns around and he sees, he sees uh, John behind them. Peter does. <clears throat> and this is this is this is the this is I guess the last I guess the last grasp the last straw. It's the one we're always grasping at. And it's basically, well, what about him? You're telling me I got to do this. What about him? Has he got to do it? And Jesus says, that's none of your business. If I want him to remain alive until I come again, if I, if I want him to remain alive and have a, a lot of money and, and, and a big book deal, that's not your business, Peter. Your business is to follow me. We get so messed up when we begin to look at others and we begin to measure ourselves and this one's got that one and that one got to do that one. And this... Uh, it's got nothing to do with the calling that God's put on your life. Somebody, somebody in the church been mean to you? Well, that means only that only means that you've been to church. That that only means that there were people there when you were when you went to church. Yeah, that's all that means. It's got nothing to do with what God's calling and anointing on your life is and how you're supposed to respond to it. And when we learn that, there's such freedom in it. There's, there's such joy in it. Worship team, come on up. This was the, uh, this was the last, at least the fourth time that Jesus had come to Peter. Uh, I know it says here that this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples, but Luke tells us about Jesus appearing to Peter himself individually. So it was at least the fourth time he had come to Peter. And the restoration wasn't immediate. It was, uh, the forgiveness is immediate. That happens immediately. You know, when we've dropped the ball, when we've, when we've, when we've messed up, the forgiveness happens, bam, right off. The restoration can take some time. It took 40 years for Moses took about 40 days for Peter. Uh, there's a lady I've mentioned a few times. Her name's Iverna Tompkins, and I really love her preaching. And she, uh, she had a, uh, early in her ministry, earlier in her ministry, the, the wheels just totally came off. You know, 
her marriage fell apart. Um, she walked away from the Lord um, and spent a good bit of time away. And then, yeah, whoever, you can go ahead and do something if you want. Wh whoever, uh, when the time came that she, that she turned, the, uh, the, the, uh, the forgiveness was instant. The calling was still on her life, but she wasn't able to step into it. And what happened was the Lord ultimately said to her, you're forgiven. I love you. You're my daughter. But you walked away, you're going to walk back. Now, sometimes that's how God does it. Sometimes you got to take step, 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 step. It might take 40 years. Sometimes, uh, you know, you might get to run a little bit of that, of that space. Sometimes God may just go, boom, boom, you know, translate you. Sometimes he may give you a good swift kick in the rear end and send you a couple of paces down the road before you have to walk back. It's, that's up to him. What we have to do is just keep walking and understand he does want to restore. He will restore. Uh, for those who are going to stand with me, please. For those who are going to minister, come forward. The, uh, the altar's open today for whatever anybody needs. If you don't know Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. If you, if you just, if you came with a need, um, a, a health need, a financial need, a need for wisdom, somebody to tell you how to do your job better, uh, relationship need. Then, then you come. If you came and you're the kind of, and, and you know that there's a calling on your life, there's an anointing on your life, and it got dropped somewhere, God specifically had you here today to begin that process of restoration. And it may start with repentance. You say, well, you know, I've repented, and God's taken care of it, but I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of buzzing around now and kind of messing up some more. Well, repent some more. You know, and say, well, okay, but I, I messed up like today. Well, repent today. You know, I, sometimes I think that God just wants us to repent, 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 repent until we get so tired of repenting, we start to behave. But the power of the Holy Spirit's here to change the course of your life. If you need to come, you come. If not, worship with us for a few moments here. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence, and I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something You 
poured out his love upon us all and given grace to us all. Freely you have received. Freely give. Higher, deeper, forward in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. 